Welcome to the DJE Podcast, where you will learn about real estate investing from real life examples. Here's your host, Devin Elder. Hey guys, welcome to the show. Today with us, we have Ashton and Chris Leverick. They're partnered uh, in, they, they joined up in 2018 to, to invest in residential real estate. And then it wasn't too long before they realized the kind of the economies of scale of the multifamily world. So they created Valkyrie Investment Group in order to focus on those larger apartment groups. That's a larger apartment buildings. It's a path that a lot of us have kind of gone through. Uh, since forming that group, they've partnered and syndicated several large apartment complexes totaling 126 units under management and another 120 set to close. Awesome stuff. Gentlemen, welcome. How are you guys doing? Doing good. Thank you for having us. Yeah. yeah thanks yeah. for having us. Yeah. Thanks for, for carving out some time to jump on. Um, I, I like to dig in on, on people's story and kind of find out what the impetus was or the initial kind of push to, to get into real estate period. And I'll let you guys kind of, you know, approach this how you want to, but what is, what is your background and what led you to kind of getting into real estate in the first place? Chris, I'll let you start with that one. I think he had a more made, motivating factor than I did. I just All right. to uh, do work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure. So I, uh, we're both Air Force uh, veterans. And I got out in 2010. I went, got an IT degree and uh, at ASU. I'm in Phoenix, Arizona, and I've, I've been 10 years in the IT industry now. Um, and 2018 rolled around. I, you know, I'm putting a lot of money into the 401k uh, with that, you know, salary that I get. And um, just watched it dip. There was a dip in 2018. That kind of um, you know made me think about how stable the 401k vehicle is as a retirement vehicle, but also as an investment vehicle because they're investing your money. Um, you know whether you you think it's safe or not, they're still investing in different funds. So uh, at that point, I started listening to Bigger Pockets. I got into some of these real estate um, related books. Uh, Rich Dad Poor Dad was a you know of course a big one that that people uh, recommended. So I, I read that one. Um, and then, you know, started really taking the time to digest and look at the whole solution as a uh, early out of a career, but also a diversification for what I was doing. I kind of think different models of, of how can I diversify my retirement? How, how can I uh, invest, you know, differently to, to outweigh some of these 401k uh, drawbacks that I saw. So that's kind of how I got into it. Um, and then we start talking me and Ashton and he can kind of talk about his story, but uh, you want to take some of it? Yeah. So <clears throat> when Chris uh, first brought that up, I was about two years out from retiring from the military. And so, you know, you, anytime you're coming up on retirement, you kind of think, well, what's next? What's next? And um, I had two little girls I had, and I was married and living in North Carolina at the time. And he brought up real estate. And I had actually met somebody that had been very successful in real estate, I don't know, several years ago. And we were out in the desert you know, on some mission, just waiting to go do things that you do when you're over there. And um, he started talking about all these rentals he had. And so that made sense at the time. And I wrote everything down, but I didn't do anything with it. And that was in 2016. So I, we didn't, I didn't do anything with that information until my brother brought it back up in, in 2018. And so that summer, summer of 2018 was when we started talking about it. And I kind of just was like, this is a great idea. I love the idea of passive income. I love the idea. I mean, rentals make sense. I understand real estate. I don't understand the stock market. And then when you start realizing all the ways um, that real estate makes money, 
uh, it just, you know, it just clicked and I said, well, let's do it. So we got, we made a, we committed to getting something under contract in 90 days and we went full bore, made a ton of mistakes, learned a lot. And, uh, we've been doing that ever since just making mistakes, learning and growing. So awesome. What was that first, very first project in terms of, you know, kind of the, the specs on a single family deal or what was it? It was a quad. So two duplexes, but right next door to each other. So we just call it a quad, but in downtown Durham, um, in a, in an area, which interestingly enough, we just got it under contract to sell. So we're selling it this month. So two years later. Um, but yeah, it was a heavy lift. I mean, full gut rehab. Um, there's only one of the units was livable at the time when we bought it. And there was like four people in there, probably <laughs> legal. I don't know, <laughs> but, um, yeah, I mean, it had, it had all the signs that you kind of think like you hear about, like people walking into apartment or units and they're like, Oh, it smells like money. Well, it smelled, you know, and it had holes <laughs> in the floor and the toilets in the living room and like all sorts of weird stuff, you know, but you think you're, you know what you're getting into. Um, but yeah, so, I mean, we learned a lot, learned a lot on that one. Yeah, for sure. Were you guys able to get VA financing or how did you, uh, how did you approach that? We didn't do that for this one. Actually, we haven't done it for any of them except our personal, um, our personal residences. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. And was this like an, was this a marketed deal or what was, cause the first deals, you know, that is, um, it's a big step, you know, it's easy to read these books and kind of get inspired and think about, you know, financial freedom and you have all these ideas about it. And then you have to like go translate that to reality. And there's like, uh, you know, some crackhead or something in the property. It's like, it, it is very different than, than maybe you first, especially in your first project. So how, how did you guys find that, uh, find that initial property? Chris? Yeah. I mean, so that first one, we, we picked an agent that, um, you know, was residential focused, I should say. So we started out kind of the wrong area. We just picked a random agent that uh, we connected with. And so now I recommend people, you know, do a little research, vet your agents, make sure they're familiar with the niche or the product you're looking for. And that it worked out. We got these two duplexes that uh, we found them. Uh, I believe they were listed. They wasn't. Um, after that, we ended up going into finding it from wholesalers. Um, as the market got more competitive, it was just easier to make wholesale connections. Um, but yeah, in the first, it was a listed property. So yeah, got it. I think that's a good point. You know, I want to kind of highlight there is we we would all love to find a one in a million deal that's off market, direct to seller, distressed. They're going to give it away. We walk into all this equity, but <laughs> yeah. honestly, I mean most of the deals I've ever done are just kind of run of the mill base hits, you know, mm -hmm. and you, you force some appreciation and sometimes they do better than others, but that's okay. You know, you go through an agent, do, do some base hits. You guys are going full cycle and exiting on that deal now. And, that, and that's fine. I mean, we, we would love that unicorn deal, but um, at the same time, like if we're going to be professional real estate investors, we need to go do projects. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's where right. you get your experience. So if you're holding out for that unicorn, you know, you're just not getting as much experience as someone doing the base hits. Yeah, that's, that's right. And there's, there's no substitute for getting that experience done um, for, for sure. I mean, there's, there's no substitute. So after you guys had kind of got in that and done, um, done some renovations and then I, I presume you kind of leased up all four units and then, and then um, just kind of cash flowed it. Yep. We refinanced it to what 
six months later, I think it was Chris, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's Re- right. Refinance it, pull the cap about. We actually did a joint venture on that one, I think it was. And, um, you know, so we were able to pay most of our investor or our partner back on that one. I mean, awesome. We did all the, we managed everything and, but you know, he was getting part of the cash flow and he had some of the equity. So um, it was a good deal, which actually opened us up into other things. Cause then, you know, in the beginning, you kind of think that you got to do everything yourself. For sure. And um, because we did that first one, a joint venture, it kind of like clicked something in your brain, like, well, man, if we could just find more partners, you know? And then, so as we did that, it just morphed into more partners, more properties. And then, well, what if we had more than two to three partners on a deal? And then you get into the syndications and, and it was just like a natural progression for us um, right up until now, really. Yeah. I love it. It's such a, it's such a good model. And that's such an aha moment for so many people that um, I remember there was a big turning point for me when I realized you know, oh, there's a lot of people with capital that have a problem of where, where to place it. You know, exactly. um, Chris, you're talking about your 401k and instability and things like that. I mean, at some point, you know, a lot of people have gone through their careers. They've made a lot of money, but yeah, it might be 60 years old. You don't want to go mess around with those properties. Let the young guys go do the hard work and um, get a decent return that's secure along the way. And there's a huge contingent of people in that, in that boat. So that's kind of an aha moment for a lot of investors to realize like, Hey, if we structure this so that the investors win, you kind of go do as much, you kind of go do every deal you can find at that point. Obviously there's more to it than that, but that's, that's the truth of it. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's that, that a lot kind of, of people. The, go ahead. I was just going to say that's, that's kind of been the, the, premise of our whole business was creating opportunity in real estate. And then, you know, everybody wins and, and finding these deals and then creating that opportunity for everybody to get involved. And then, um, you know, yeah, we do a bunch of the work, but we put it all together and we're, it, it's a team sport, right? So when we win, everybody wins. Yeah. I love it. And that, that's, that's such a, that's the philosophy to have. Cause if you could go do a deal that everybody wins and it's kind of, you know, for some people, it's uncommon to see that kind of in the business world. You know, everybody's worried that somebody's trying to take advantage of them. And a lot of that uh, has merit, but it's interesting in kind of the real estate or investor community. From what I've seen, a lot of people I've met is, listen, if I structure win-win deals, we can go do a hundred of them. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not, you're not out to like take advantage of some guy on one deal and get a slight edge and make a few more bucks. I mean, mm-hmm. there are some people that do that and hopefully they wash out of the business quickly. But, you know, if you could structure it where it's win-win, people are going to tell their friends, it's going to grow. You can go do all the deals, you know, which is uh, part of the reason we all love this, this business model. What, um, when you guys it, it refinance that project, you, you'd had experience with a, with a, you know, I don't, I wouldn't call them passive investor, but a, a non-operating partner, you know, kind of a, a money partner. Um, what was the transition to say, Hey, you know, we've got to go, we've got to go bigger. Um, and what did you guys set your eyes on after that, off, after that initial project? I think yeah, it was I mean, uh, Chris's wife actually. <laughs> Wasn't it? Yeah. So she's doing a lot of the finance management and the books. And, um, you know, we just saw that these, these bird deals that you hear about where you go in and you buy, um, you know, it, it was, coined in bigger pockets, but people have been doing it for years uh, where you go buy something, you renovate it, you're going to rent it out, you refinance it. And then you basically pull all your equity, all your capital back out at that new right refinance amount. You're able to pull all your equity back out. Well, they're great, but 
at the same time, if you're buying in the peak market, you, you leave little cash flow when you're pulling all that equity back out. So when we got started, we did follow a lot of that model um, because it was a good way for people to enter into real estate if they're doing it themselves. Uh, but eventually you start to see, well, you know, we're not making a lot of cash flow and the type of properties you're buying uh, in the beginning are going to be, you know, lower uh, C, C plus, C minus, um, you know, where things happen. You know, tenants don't treat the, the units well, possibly, or, um, you know, if you, if you got benefit of having a Section 8 tenant, then at least you have some coverage, some, some help from the government to make sure they're uh, abiding by the rules. But if not, you're going to have issues come up. So that cash flow gets really slim. Those margins get really tight. And we started to see, okay, even just duplexes, there's not a lot of safety or economies of scale in duplexes or in even quads. It's really once you start to go into the bigger properties that you're going to get those safety margins a little better uh, where you can make a couple more mistakes if you, if you needed to in underwriting, but you know, if you're newer to the business um, you know, and that's where we kind of scaled up out of that. We, we exited the small multifamily range for those reasons. Yeah, that's such a great point. We've, we're seeing that in our market too. It's it's hard to make a single family deal pencil, uh, you know, um, mm-hmm. to work in cash flow. It used to be the case years ago, and but we could still make the big stuff pencil. So I mean, it it just makes a lot of sense. If if you're talking to somebody that is wanting to get into this business, wanting to go kind of a syndication or or raise capital, uh, but they haven't done it yet, wh- what do you say to that person? Just kind of overall investor relations tips or strategies that helps that new person kind of get off the ground? Um, we actually have this conversation quite a bit because I mean, we, I, according to some people, we grew pretty fast. So a lot of people hit us up, like, how did you guys scale so fast? And um, so, I mean, like this month we'll be closing out on what, 240, that'll be 240 under management, but, and that's two years. So, the thing that we found, and, and my brother wrote a blog on this, talked about extensively on social media too, because I, I think a lot of people think they have to start small, but I, you know, it's completely different. When you go from residential to commercial, the loans are different, how you value the property is different, the tax benefits are different, everything's different. So if you really wanted to get into syndications, why your time with smaller multifamily? If you do it again, I think that's what we would do. Um, so go to, if you want to get into commercial, go to commercial. And then, so how do people get into commercial? You know, so the first one is they do it themselves. They make all the mistakes and they own all the mistakes, higher risk, higher return. Um, or they buy into like a mentorship program. Um, and you know, there's benefits to that too. We didn't do that. Uh, we did start on our own. So we did make a bunch of those mistakes, but the mentorship program, I mean, you get all that guy, all that mentors network, his knowledge, you know, programs and, and you know, industry um, uh, contacts and everything. And then, but they can be expensive too, but you still don't, you still have to do all the deals your own on your own usually. But, uh, and then the last one we found that pulled us is when we started looking at partnering. So at other people, what do we bring to the table and how can we get in on a deal and excel at this one area that allows us to become, you know, an apartment syndicator or a GP or an LP or whatever. And, you know, so, there's the two ways of partnering. There's limited partners and there's general partners. And I'm sure a lot of your listeners are familiar with this, but you know, if you become a, even if you became a limited partner, you can easily talk to those GPs. And I, I know many people have done that. And we've done this with some of our limited partners is you, they want to be, they want to learn the business. So they ask, you know, or you, you just, 
meet the team and ask, hey, can I just be a fly on the wall? Can I learn how you guys are doing this? Can I sit through some of your meetings? So that's one way. Or as a GE, obviously you have to bring something to the table, some type of skill set, some type of capital, whatever, um, legal, you know, financing, um, whatever, team building management, asset management, property management, whatever. So you, so if you can find a way to get in on that partnership, you can learn and grow really fast. And again, we say this all the time, or maybe I say it all the time, I don't know, <clears throat> but it's a team sport. And if you're looking at it like you have to do it on your own, you're missing it. You're missing the ball, you're missing the whole game. I mean, and, and you're gonna hamstring your growth. Yeah, it's such a great point. Multifamily, especially in syndication, lends itself very well to the to the team approach. And starting out, a lot of times, the only way to go. I mean, you don't have to come in on your first deal and own thirty percent of the deal. You know, right. and in a lot of cases, it's not going to happen. And I, I see a light bulb go off for some people that you don't necessarily have to have all the net worth or liquidity either. You know, um, you put you put the team together. And the nice thing is it's a big enough project that it's, it's worth, it's worth everybody's time. You know, you're not splitting up a, a $20,000 profit on a, on a flip house. You're not splitting it up three ways. And that really wasn't worth anybody's time. You know, we're talking about multi-million dollar projects in some cases where that's yeah, worth everybody's time to, to, to be involved. And then over time you can, you can grow, you know, you can grow once you learn it and you get in there and you, you kind of establish yourself, then you can start to grow uh, kind of your ownership of the, of the general partnership piece. But um, that's, that's such good uh, counsel for people that are starting out is, is two, you know, two things you said. One is if, if you want to end up in this kind of multifamily game, go ahead and start there today, you know, start your education, start your networking, because I was kind of astounded after doing hundreds of single family projects myself that nobody really cared at all. Uh, the brokers didn't care. The lenders didn't care. And I was like, guys, I've been busting my tail for years. And it's like, well, how many apartments have you, have you done? You know? And as soon as you do one, then you're in, you know, right. it's mm -hmm. like, I wish I would have just done that. That would have been a, saved me a few right. years of, of heartache. Um, but uh, it, it's interesting. It's a great point. You know, if you, if you want to get into the big, bigger multifamily game, get, get a small piece of a big deal and, and start learning it. And um, you guys, you know, have grown fast, but it's not like you're the only ones that have ever done it. You know, there's, right. there's lots of examples to point to of, of uh, people doing exa exactly that model. So that's really, um, that's, that's really inspiring. What was, what were some challenges you guys faced? You know, I, I think it, there can be some mental blocks for people, you know, kind of, getting interested, reading a book, and then, you know, actually going out and buying a, a five, $10 million building or whatever the case is that, you know, just flip a, you don't just flip a switch and do it. So what were some of the hurdles along, along the way, whether they were, you know, actual hurdles or kind of, you know, mental hurdles, but you know, what, what were they and how did you guys overcome those? That's a good question. Yeah. Um, I mean, there was, there was a lot, there was um, internal teamwork hurdles where we're, trying to figure out, you know, our direction as a team, you know, once you start, we brought our, our wives into the picture and they, you know, fulfilled key roles now, but it wasn't always like that. It, was, it wasn't always just a smooth transition, working with family, understanding your direction, understanding your goals, uh, staying aligned with those. So there's internal battles there, external challenges, you know, finding deals, deal flow. Like you sure. said, when you're starting out, brokers don't necessarily take you serious for apartments. Um, so it's, it's working through those issues, raising capital, you know, you're building your brand, you're building your credibility, you're building your, your, um, you know, how people value you and, and what they think about you. And that's the whole brand picture. And that takes time. And, you know, if you're trying to take down deals 
quickly, you know, sometimes those relationships take time to develop. And so you got to be patient and you got to, um, you know, stay true to your values through the whole process. So those are some of them. I mean, there's minor details, you know, that we've, we've hit going through smaller properties, but uh, anything to add, Ashton? Yeah. I, you know, I think um, I don't care what your speed bump is, roadblock, your problem is. I think it comes down to clarity of what you actually want. Mm. And we go through this every 90 days and it's like clockwork. We, so we set our business up after the EOS model, um, off to the book, uh, traction from, uh, Gino Wickman. Great book. If you're looking to set up your business, highly recommend it. And but, what is um, the EOS model for the uninitiated? Uh, well, it's basically how you, <laughs> who's in charge of your business, who's running what in your business, how often you're meeting, um, how you schedule out your business plan for the year, for the three years. I mean, basically he has you start, you know, three to five years. Where do you want yourself and your business to be in three to five years? And then work backwards from there. So it's backwards planning at its best. And you're just going down three years. Okay. Then where do we need to be at year one to know that we're on track for year three? And then where do we need to be by the end of this 90 days, this quarter to know that we're on track for that one year. And now where do we need to be this week? What do we need to be doing this week? You know? Um, and so, you know, everybody, I, I think door count gets thrown around a lot, but, um, when you start to realize how the business works, door counts, not everything, because you can go out and get a thousand doors and not cash flow at all. Sure. Or you could be in debt, you know, over your eyeballs and not making any money, whatever. But, um, so I think when you, they say you need to refocus and go over your goals, go over your, um, everything that you're trying to do every 90 days, because right around the 90 day mark is when you start, everybody on the team starts to kind of go either their own direction, or maybe they're missing exactly where you're headed. Like, you know, for example, so initially we were focused on door count, you know, but then how do you get that door count that actually matters to the business? And then, so, so our 90 day goals were not necessarily door count. Our 90 day goals was building a brand that could actually um, reach out to investors, reach out to brokers, reach out to other partners or draw them in rather, you know, so learning what your focus is and really double downing on that double downing. I'm not sure if that's how you say it. <laughs> doubling down on that fo on that 90 days is where you get your, you have your most impact. And so, and my brother's great at it um, because he's, he's a great manager. He's very detail oriented. He can, he can knock out a lot of stuff and him and I, you know, we butt heads every now and then cause I'm a bigger picture and I'm like, yeah, but we're going for the, let's, let's take the house, you know, or bet the house on this. And he's like, well, we need to put this in place first. We need these systems and these processes and, you know, and, 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 uh, you know, according to traction, the book, that's exactly how it, it works. You know, you always have somebody that's more bigger picture and you always have somebody that's more detail oriented. And those two, when you get those two together, they really make the deal or the business flow. But I, I think my point is just going to being able to refocus every 90 days. I mean, maybe sooner if you have a bigger, the bigger team I and mean, we have weekly meetings and then me and my brother have, you know, buy, uh, we have team weekly meetings. Then my brother and I have weekly meetings, same page meetings to get, make sure we're on the same page. And then everybody we work with, we have meetings with them or everybody that works for us, we have meetings with them to make sure they're on the same page as well. So it's like, it's almost like you're having meetings, you know, every day just to make sure everybody's on the same page, but that's how important it is. 
to remain that focused and, you know, not to be long winded with this, but I can tell you that holds true with anything. You know, if you're all over the place, you're going to get all over the place results. You're not going to get the results you want. Um, so yeah, I think it just comes back to being super clear, especially if you're on a big team, super clear about what you want, your timeline, and then, and then what you're doing each day to get you there. I mean, you know, they always say what 1% better every day. Now, if your whole team's doing 1% better, that may be 10% better every week, you know, or whatever. So. Um, love it. I love all, there's so much to, to, to dive into there. There's a book. I don't remember the name of it about, these guys that would like trek across Antarctica, right? And they would talk about getting one degree off course. That kills them because they're, yeah. you know, they're trying to go from here to here, A to B in, the, in this, this snow-covered wasteland. And if you do it in a straight line, you're, you're going to live. But you get one degree off, extrapolate yep. it over a couple of miles, you're, you're dead, man. So the same is yeah. true kind of if a 1% degree improvement in your trajectory over time or 1% better every week, whatever. It has these huge like exponential results in the business. I love it. I love what you said too about kind of reverse engineering the target down to a daily basis. I mean, this stuff is, it's so elementary that I think it's easy for somebody listening to this to dismiss it, right? Obviously the execution is, is, is everything, but um, I get so many people uh, ask me all the time, you know, what, what should I do next? And it's, uh, it's kind of the Alice in Wonderland thing, right? Like, I don't know. What do you, what do you want? You want to sit on a beach, drink Mai Tais? You want to you wanna be worth um, $20 million? I mean, you want X amount of cash flow? Those are all different outcomes. And they all have different daily prescriptions for how to get there. So, you know, if you're not clearing your outcome, I don't know. Just, just stay home, do what you want because all your effort is going to be it's going to be meaningless. But when you are clear on your outcome, there's kind of no getting around it. It's like stepping on the scale. You know, it's like, Hey man, the scale doesn't lie. You're either, you're either on track with your targets or you're not. And if you're not, you can, you can nudge it back on track. So I, I just love that idea of, of reverse engineering the, um, the outcome, knowing your outcome and things kind of get simple. They don't get easy, but when you know your outcome, uh, it really simplifies the business and lets you kind of eliminate all the other, 99% of the things that are not serving that, uh, serving that outcome. So if, if you guys don't mind, you know, we're recording this kind of, um, no, uh, November, 2020, um, there's a deal you guys are working on closing. I mean, you guys at Liberty to kind of talk about some of the specifics and how that came together and just kind of dive in on, on that actual project. Yeah, I think we could talk about it. We're not, I mean, everything's closed. We're just waiting on the final paperwork to sign. So nice. And this will publish, you know, a few weeks out. So Yeah. <laughs> Um, but, uh, I mean, Chris, you want to launch into that? I know I was long winded on the last one. So, yeah, sure. So the deal we're working right now is in Texas, um, a little Greenville. So it's right outside Dallas, Fort Worth, about 30 minutes out. Um, it's 120 unit. It was about 76,000 unit per door. The price is we're working on some things and that's why the delayed closing, we did have some, some interesting numbers show up because of lease turnover in September and the bank lending wanted to ensure that the right amount loaned reflected that new income that was reflected in September figures. So we had to wait till October figures to get the correct loan amount that we were looking for high level. Um, but basically it was a 9.2 million acquisition. Um, it's a C plus B minus um, good condition 
I, I got to pull up the actual details of it. But how we got into it, I mean, partnerships, partnerships, uh, our asset management a team that we worked with on another deal, previous deal, they actually brought this one in. So they actually did uh, the initial underwriting and they found the deal. And, um, you know, we were offered inclusion on the deal and, and we got to walk the property in July with them, do some of the due diligence, uh, check out the, the area, check out Dallas, you know, because this is our first time into the Texas market. And so it was, um, you know, we're leaning a little more on the uh, asset management team that found the deal because they have a couple uh, properties in the area uh, in Texas. So uh, it's partnerships in this one um, that got us involved. And those partnerships developed early on in the year, starting in March of 2020. So a long time coming. And this one came more in July. So a little bit after we, we started making those partnerships, but it's taken all the way till yeah now November. We're going to be closing here in the next week. Um, and maybe even this week if we're lucky. So but. Awesome. Well, c- congratulations and good luck getting it uh, across the finish line. It'd be a nice one to finish up for uh, closing out the year there. And is, what's your plan on that property? You've got some, some renovations, some CapEx. Is this like a five-year hold for you guys or what's, what's the uh, vision there? Sure. Yeah, it's a five-year hold. Yeah. So, or do you want me and, to go into it? Uh, well, I mean, yeah, it's a basic rehab. There's value add. There, there's one bedrooms or studios, one bedroom, two bedroom, and three bedrooms. And so each one's getting a little bit different overhaul um, to add, you know, to raise the value, raise the rents, and thereby the, the value of the whole property so that we can, um, yeah, sell in year five and hit our projections. Pretty Simple standard business model. syndication, right? That's right. They kind <laughs> yeah, of all look new. the same. I tell people like, yeah, well, I'll send you one of our old projects because the next one's going to look, I don't right. know, identical. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> Yeah. I mean, if you have a, if you have a good plan and you just, you stick to that on, on multiple deals, you know, it executes, you don't have to go do these huge flips and some syndication groups do. And, you know, they'll do, you know, 20,000 plus a unit, uh, turn it, make it a new class of property. Uh, We do, we'd like the 5,000, 7,000 per unit uh, renovations, keep it simple, the paint, the flooring, the uh, kitchen, you know, cabinetry, maybe backsplash appliances if needed. Uh, but keep it keep it simple. Put some put a dog run. Put a nice park if you can. If it's a good, uh, uh, you got the area for it in the in the property. But yeah, if you if you got a model that works, a capex plan that works, then stick to it, and you know the results. It just makes it a lot easier. Here's yeah. here's the thing though. Like you keep it simple, and you do the same plan over and over. And people, it's not exciting. Yeah. I get it. People want that. Sometimes they're like, oh, I want, I want to see something huge, a massive change. Cause that's what I watch on TV. You know, I see this, these Chip and Joanna, they're going in and gutting this terrible looking dump of a house, then coming back out with this, you know, a class property that they're selling for 10 million or whatever. But the reality is like, I mean, going back to what you said uh, earlier is just base hits win games. And that's what capital is about, right? We're about preserving capital and, and growing capital and preserving it first. And so if our business plan isn't going to do that, then it's not a good business plan. If it's all hinging on, well, we're going to put this much money in it and hopefully the economy reflects that, then that's not a good business model. Um, so yeah, I mean, we like to keep it simple and, and do something that works. And, and that's what we has made it possible so far. And people like that, you know, yeah, hundred percent. Base hits win games, right? I mean, bottom line, we're all kind of underwriting to a average annualized return for an investor. If I, if you can get that on a cleaner deal, why wouldn't you? Yeah. 
why wouldn't you do it? You know, I mean, right. there's just kind of inherent risk that comes the bigger and crazier that the, the rehab gets or the, the bigger, the, the tenant turnaround, all that stuff. Not to say those things are wrong, but listen, if you can hit your return projections on a, on a cleaner deal with less uh, stress for everyone involved all day long. Yeah. It gets a little boring, you know, but that's uh, I want my money in boring stuff, you know, boring, predictable real estate investments. The one, the one thing we did change this year was we started partnering with nonprofits. Um, Interesting. Yeah. And I, I really like that. That wasn't our idea. That was one of our partner's ideas. And uh, he brought a nonprofit to the table and, you know, they get a part of the return. And so partnering with a nonprofit not only allows people to be like, oh, I'm investing in this deal, which gives me good, good returns, but it's also helping out this fund. And I really like that. I really like that fund. And for us, that's really rewarding as well, because it's not all about money. Like we're, we're building, um, what is it? Kids playgrounds that are accessible to handicapped, handicapped children. Awesome. So like that, that's, I mean, we're not doing it, but that's where the, the capital part of the capital is going. And so yep. I, I think that's, that's key when you can really do something that you love and actually give back. Um, I mean, at the end of the day, it is about the money, but you got to feel good about it. Right. It is about the deal, but you have to feel good about the deal. And, yeah. and that, that really does help. It can be all of it, right? It doesn't, it's not mutually exclusive. You know, it doesn't have to right. just be, we're, we're making a profit at the expense of somebody. Um, it's, it, it really is kind of a win-win all around scenario or can be if you, if you structure it right. So I, I love, uh, I, I love hearing that. And that's, you know, kind of the power of being an entrepreneur and having the ability to, to structure that some of these things, how you see fit. So I oh, love yeah. it. I love it. Um, well, this is really exciting. I love hearing about you guys journey about your, kind of rapid ascension here in the business. If somebody listening wanted to connect and learn more about Valkyrie group and what you guys are up to, what's a good Avenue for that? Yeah, I think the, the website's the best. It's ValkyrieGroup.com. So V is in Victor, A L K E R E group.com. Um, we're on LinkedIn as well. So look up Chris Leverick, Ashton Leverick, LinkedIn, bigger pockets. Um, but all our social media links are there on the website. we got a blog. You can contact us there. So that's a good central point. Awesome. We'll link to the uh, Valkyrie website in the show notes, but uh, gentlemen, thank you very much for your time. I've really enjoyed it. appreciate you sharing your story. Thanks awesome. for having Thanks. us, Devin. Appreciate yeah. it. Right. Thank you for listening to the DJE podcast. For more information, please go to djetexas.com.